Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Pactum. I'm Mike Grimes here today with Pat Abendroth, and today we've got a great episode for you. We're going to be doing Pactum Responsum number three. That's right, Pactum Responsum number three, because you guys have been sending in your questions, and we have a slew of questions. A slew. This is episode 33, but it's... Pactum Responsum number three. Yeah. That's confusing. That is confusing. But we've got a lot of questions lately, and we wanted to make sure to answer those so you didn't think we were leaving you by the wayside. And don't tune out if you don't like Pactum Responsum episodes. But they're going to. We're going to talk about Calvinism, Arminianism. That's right. Other kinds of isms. That's right. Important things. Covenant of Redemption. Yep. So, and, but don't tune out because we have a contest. Mike, they're not going to tune out. They're not. I know. Okay, tell us about the contest. Our fr- do you want me to tell us now? or I was going to save it till later. Oh, yeah, save it till later. Okay, so okay. tune in for the rest of the episode because we have our first ever Pactum contest giveaway. Oh, wait a second. Well, it's not the first, is it? It's not. Because we gave away the uh, autograph. Autograph. That's yep. right. Yep. That's right. Machen autographed. Yep. Okay. Well, this is our second. It wasn't Machen autographed. It was Jay Gresham autographed, right? <laughs> that's right. Of a Machen book. <laughs> so that's that's important to qualify that. Mike, before we get into any of these questions today, and they are all actual listener questions, so thank you, thank you for all of your good feedback and all of that sort of stuff and your good questions. But Mike, I have a question for you. Okay. And so my question for you before we do the legitimate questions is: Have you read chapter eight? of Matthew Barrett's book called Simply Trinity. I have not read it yet. Okay, but you... you okay. I intend to read the entire Before book. God and these witnesses. I right? intend to read In it. In front of the Pactum verse, yep. I am commissioning you. I'm giving you an assignment. I'm passing Mike, the co-host, Grimes, the book right now, I Simply it. Trinity. Does it smell good? Chapter 8. Oh, and, yeah. uh, I, you know, Mike, I started... I want you to read Chapter 8, especially because I started reading the book or listening to the audio book. Well, but let me back up. I ordered a copy from... Scamazon, but they, ever they never delivered it. Mm-hmm. So then I downloaded the audio version, whatever, audible version, and was listening to it and enjoying it. He's a great writer, thoughtful, provocative. And then chapter eight, oh boy, Todd Swift, shout out to him, fellow elder and OBC are here. He said, you've got to read chapter eight. Just skip everything and go to chapter eight. All right. Talk about a barn burner. Is Talk the about... son eternally subordinate to the father, a yeah. son worthy of worship? Chapter well, eight. It's a super important chapter, but then all you have to do is turn the next page and it's a chapter. Now, I don't, I don't want to put words in Matthew Barrett's mouth because he's far more of a gentleman and a scholar than I am, <laughs> but he goes after Bruce Ware with the theological vengeance mm. for promoting and articulating and defending a sub Christian doctrine of the Trinity, uh, really a non-Christian Christology. I mean, talk about no wonder people are upset with Matthew Barrett, Yeah, but I say hat, theological hats off to Matthew Barrett because what he goes after and critiques helps us to understand the truth and People like Ware, as he also goes after Wayne Grudem, hmm. I mean, they have enjoyed a lot of popularity promoting things that are not orthodox right. Christianity. Yeah. So no wonder there are anger issues in the family on you. Twitter. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Oh, the spicy let, Twitter world. Let the reader understand. Well, before our witnesses, the Pactum verse, I am going to read chapter 8. And the, I'd like to read the rest of the book. I intend to before our conference. Okay, but, good, good. Yeah. You like the Mandalorian, not Mandalorian. What's the car? Mandalorian is a Star Wars thing. Oh, boy. 
Mandalorian? DeLorean. The, the DeLorean. De- yeah, the De- not the Mandalorian. The DeLorean. My, the DeLorean. Yeah. So he, he... Oh, he does Back to the Future stuff, huh? He does Back to the Future stuff, and he's creative and interesting. Very so. cool. Yeah, he's a great writer. He really is. Enjoy his stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, Pat, let's get into our questions and answers on the Pactum Responsum number three, um, episode 33. And we're going to begin with a question from Susan. And Susan is wondering if there is a difference between being Reformed and being Calvinist. Are they the same thing? Sometimes people maybe combine the two. I'm a Reformed Calvinist. Uh, Is there a difference? Well, to answer Susan's question, we could definitely say and should say that Calvin was Reformed. Mm -hmm. So there is that. Uh, We... However, in our day, sometimes we use labels in different ways in different settings. So depending on who I'm speaking with, I might say, oh, well, we're all Calvinists here Mm. because we're talking about believing in God's sovereignty and something like that. Or I may not use the label because people don't know what I mean. Typically, we're talking about the five points of Calvinism, uh, which we did an episode on. At least in, in our day, in circles I tend to run in, that's what we mean by Calvinism. Right, yeah. But we might mean something different. Um, yeah, because some people are going to say they're a Calvinist simply just referring to the sovereignty of God. I, I believe that God is sovereign. Yeah, so how many points are you? Are you a right. two-point Calvinist, one-point Calvinist? I heard someone say uh, they were a one-and-a-half-point Calvinist. <laughs> so anyway, typically we're talking about issues related to the five points or sovereignty of God or predestination, things like that. But things get a little more controversial sometimes in the broader evangelical, quote-unquote, reformed world, because there are those who are TR, truly reformed, and there are those who are like reformed Baptists, and some people who are reformed don't think reformed Baptists should call themselves reformed Baptists because of history and confessions. It's an interesting argument, and so I try to stay out of the argument. (laughs) Although I had an interesting class one time with Mike Horton, who is who is a gentleman in person, even if you don't think he is in his books. (laughs) And so having been in a class all week long with Mike, uh, one of the students who was a reformed Baptist pastor, uh, said, uh, you know, Mr. Horton, Dr. Horton, uh, would you please at least afford me the privilege of calling myself a reformed Baptist? Or would you, would you afford me the privilege of calling me a reformed Baptist? (laughs) And Michael, no, he wouldn't do it. (laughs) So, I mean, Mike is, he's, he's super nice in person. And so he just danced around it and said, well, you know, historically, uh, (laughs) particular Baptist, Calvinistic Baptist, things like that. So I was intrigued by the whole thing and glad I wasn't involved in the, in the little debate, but it caused, uh, the person in the class, let's call him Alan because that was his name. (laughs) Uh, No small amount of angst that Mike Horton wouldn't offer a category called Reformed Baptist. Yeah. So depending on who I'm hanging out with, uh, I may or may not use labels like Reformed Baptist. Right, yeah. Because I at least know a little bit about the debates. And you know what? I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Um, yeah. It is what it is. And sometimes it's just defining terms, right? Yeah. What do you mean by Reformed? What do you mean by Calvinist? And so when you're trying to talk to somebody and they call themselves one or the other or whatever they label themselves as, it's a, well, what do you mean by that? Because that way you don't talk past each other and get confused, get on the same page, define what you mean by what you're saying. Yep. That's important. So if someone says, are you reformed? I say, what do you mean? Yeah. Are you a Calvinist? What do you mean? Are you a reformed Calvinist Baptist? (laughs) No. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) now I, I will say, I find it, it is interesting. There are people who say they are Calvinists but they don't affirm historically reformed things. Hmm. 
and this actually is important in our day, I think, in 21st century modern evangelicalism. So someone will say, I'm a five-point Calvinist, but when you talk to them, they don't hold to things like the distinction between the law and the gospel, Hmm. which is essential to reform theology. Hmm. So that actually is important, and it relates to covenant theology because the law-gospel distinction, at least in the reformed world, not the Lutheran world, but in the reformed world, is carrying the same distinction between the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. And so these matters become pretty important because now we have people who say they're five-point Calvinists who don't affirm the distinction between law and gospel or the covenant of works and the covenant of grace, and they end up teaching a form of justification by faith and works. Mm. So we've seen this in the controversies surrounding Daniel Fuller and his student, John Piper. So it's not enough to say you're you're reformed. I want to know what you mean by it. It's not enough to say you're a Calvinist. I want to know what you mean by it. And so I end up saying things, and we say it here on the Pactum, if we're really getting down to it, we're talking about classic covenant theology. Mm. Uh, We're talking about uh, uh, being confessional in our theology. We want to hold to a uh, historic Protestant confession, because if we're doing that built in, baked in the cake of, let's say, the Westminster Confession or the Second London Confession, we have a distinction between law and gospel, and therefore we have a distinction between the covenant of works and the covenant of grace, and therefore we have justification sola fide, which is really, really important. So. So in our current environment in evangelicalism, in quote unquote, reform circles, Calvinistic circles, just because someone says they're a Calvinist doesn't mean I think they have things clear and they're clear headed, clear headed, even about the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. And so buyer beware, um, you need to know what's behind, maybe what lies beneath. Yeah. So if you're newer to the party, so to speak, you just have to beware or be aware of the fact that just because someone says they're a Calvinist doesn't mean uh, they're going to be like-minded or even they're going to be within the framework of historic reformed orthodoxy, I guess we could call it. So here we're going to have a mega conference and all of these people are going to come and, you know, they're all Calvinists and they're all reformed. And then you do a little, little investigating and you find out actually they don't hold to some basic core tenets of what we would consider to be vital Christian doctrines. Yeah. So there are Calvinists and there are Calvinists and there are reformed people and there are reformed people and there are covenant theologians and there are covenant theologians. So I wish it were simpler than this, but it is what it is. And this is what happens in a sinful world. Be discerning and be clear headed. I come back to affirming a classic historic Protestant confession. Sure. Yeah. It is going to help. It is going to smoke some people out. It is going to keep some people from the camp that we don't actually want in the camp. Yeah. So if you're looking for more information on Calvinism, we do have an episode on Calvinism called Questioning Calvinism. That's episode 19. And as Pat was talking about being confessional, we have a episode on being confessional as well. That's episode 15. You can check those out for some more information and resources on those topics and issues. Let's keep rolling here with our questions from our listeners on this Pactum Responsum episode. Our next question comes from Andrew, and he's following up with episodes 23 and 24, the Lone Ranger episodes with Pat. uh, Pat in his basement office. That's right, where he talked about active obedience. And Andrew, after listening to those episodes, is wondering if you could address what this means for how we should live out our new life in Christ, a, a life where we are created for good work. I think of Ephesians 2.10. What's our responsibility in the sanctification process and the importance of our actions and choices? 
Yes, Andrew and other listeners, you may have picked up when you were listening to those episodes. Some people who are foes to the active obedience of Christ doctrine are foes because they're afraid if word gets out, what's going to happen is people are going to do bad things. They're not going to behave because if Christ through his obedience, perfectly met the obligation of God's law, then there's nothing left to be done. And it is true. There's nothing left to be done for justification. So I'm not afraid to to let the word get out because uh, Romans 1 to 5 is true. So I want the word to get out. But then the question is, now what? Do do our works matter? What should fuel our good works? Uh, What about our obedience that God has called us to? And I would say, yes, our good works matter, and we are called to live a certain way. But we live out of a new stature, out of a new position. We are justified, and therefore, having been justified, we have peace with God, but now we're called to do things. We are called to act. And it's, it's a totally different perspective because we have a totally different status before God. And it might even help to think in terms of how New Testament books are written. So we have 11 chapters in Romans giving us good, robust, clear thinking about how redemption works, how it's free to us because of the works of Christ. And then we are called rather robustly and powerfully to live a certain way, chapter 12, mm-hmm. verses 1 and following. Yeah. So as we do like to say, it comes out of gratitude. So we have guilt, grace, gratitude. And so we want to do the right thing out of a place of spiritual safety and out of a place of gratitude. So good works do matter, but you want to be doing good works because of your new status out of gratefulness, out of gratitude by the power of the spirit. Now you can do good works. You should do good works. Now you want to obey the law, not for your justification, but because of your justification. So a couple of good resources. Uh, one would be The Whole Christ, a subtitle Legalism, Antinomianism, and Gospel Assurance. Uh, another subtitle, it keeps going, <laughs> uh, Why the Morrow Controversy Still Matters. That's by Sinclair Ferguson. Yeah. We would commend that book to you as something good to think through as it would relate to these things. Also, another book, we're going to use it here for our Theology for Breakfast men's group this year. It's called The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification. It is by Walter Marshall. It will talk about similar kinds of matters. So you do zero part in your justification, but because Christ did it all, you now do want to live for his glory and for his honor. Mm. Uh, Good works actually do matter for the glory of God in Christ. Uh, We're not called to be antinomian. That's the fear of the neonomian, to use good big words. Um, it's why they attack the act of obedience of Christ, at least one reason. No, we're called to obey God's law, but we have Romans 6 after Romans 1 to 5. So let's keep things in the right order. Great way of thinking. Great question. Appreciate you listening to those episodes. Uh, we need to recover the biblical doctrine of the act of obedience of Christ, uh, because as Jay Gresham said, there's no hope without it. That's right. Okay, our next question comes from Nicole, and she is wondering, what are our thoughts on head coverings? So this would be my understanding of head coverings in the ancient world in the first century, and we can relate it to the here and now. So I think there's little debate, little question that the head covering symbolized submission. So it was an acknowledgement of roles. We are equal in Christ, Galatians chapter 3, and yet even culturally there were roles involved as far as men and women's roles, whether it's in the life of the church or outside of the church. The question that we have to grapple with, I think, for today is, does a woman wearing a veil or a head covering 
uh, here in Omaha, Nebraska, let's say, in 21st century modern America, uh, do people see that and say, oh, that person's wearing that because uh, they're they're wanting to show people that they're submissive and not trying to defy different kinds of authorities? Right, yeah. And my answer to that is no, it doesn't communicate that. It's not the norm. Whereas in the first century, it was the norm. Yeah. So what would be abnormal is for a woman not to cover her head and to not cover her head would be a, would be a declaration of saying, you know what, I'm not submissive to anyone mm-hmm. uh, on my own person. Well, given the fact that it's not the norm today, I don't think it communicates that today, hmm. at least in 21st yeah. century Omaha, Nebraska, sure. uh, in America. Now, with that said, if we live someplace where it was the norm, all women did this, generally speaking, and to not do it is a disregard for authority, then maybe I could see a place for doing so today as, an, as a sign or a symbol of submission. Hmm. So. In other words, the principle is true and the principle is timeless, but expressions of it may or may not be. So other things, for example, would be like foot washing. Uh, Foot washing is something that in the first century was done. It was a common custom. Everybody did it. It's a way of showing hospitality. Uh, But today we don't walk places in the arid desert and we don't wear sandals typically uh, unless it's summertime at the beach. And so it's not common for us to do foot washing. Uh, And so it, 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 it wouldn't make any sense to say we have to have this be a biblical mandate, right. even though Jesus did it for his disciples and said that it should be done for one another. So I think that's similar. I think a holy kiss is similar as well. Uh, so the first man that gives me a holy kiss, yeah. even though it's commanded <laughs> in the New Testament, unless I'm like in Russia or something, um, is going to have another thing coming. <laughs> But kindness and love and generosity, which are shown in different ways, pre-COVID, it was a handshake. Right. Um, but cert- certain things can be timeless and they can be timelessly true, but they don't necessarily have to be shown in the same exact expression is where I'm coming from. Maybe just to round things out, in First Corinthians 11, verse 16, uh, he does talk about having no such practice, and it's the word for custom. So certain customs are meaningful in a certain setting, but they may not be meaningful in other settings. To be clear, we are all for distinct roles, but that doesn't mean that expressions, signs, symbols uh, are meant to be for all times in all places. Uh, they may look different at different times in different places. Appreciate your question. Yeah. Well, as you're talking about head coverings, Pat, it makes me think about swag, makes me think about merch, makes me think about... <laughs> you are so lowbrow. You are so It's getting a little bit brow. serious and stuffy, you know? I okay. wanted to lighten things up Well, a it's bit. an important matter. It but, is. But you know what? I wanna, I'm going to be missional and accommodate you <laughs> and your lowbrow tactics. <laughs> well, we want to remind you that we do have Pactum shirts that you can order online. There is a link on our website for those. We mentioned hats in a previous episode. And I just want to update you that it has been a, a whole ordeal about these hats. Don't say bad words. And I'm telling you, they're going to come eventually, but they've been delayed. This has been a test for Mike's sanctification. It has been. And I'm thankful for it and <laughs> <laughs> trusting in God's providence through this process. But those will be available at some point. But we do have shirts available if you want to order those on our website. You can find a link to the store. Our website is thepactum.org. You can also find us on Instagram at the Pactum Theology or Twitter at the Pactum. 
And I think this is a perfect segue to the contest. Okay. And we're getting some cool pictures. So we, thank you for are, that. Yes, Special yeah. shout out for you who, yeah. are, who are posing. Thank Those you for Those of you who are sending us your pictures or tagging us online and all that. So here, here's the contest. This episode, episode 33, the Pactum Responsum 3, is coming out on September 8th. That is the first day this episode will be available. So the contest starts on Wednesday, September 8th, 2021. From that date, you have two weeks till September 22nd, 2021, to post a picture on either Twitter or Instagram of you and your Pactum swag. Oh, so what if they don't have any Pactum swag? If they don't have any Pactum swag, they better get some oh, quick. This is just a shameless marketing technique. <laughs> That's what they all do, right? Oh, okay, That's how you okay. get your name out. So post a picture of you and your Pactum swag. Be creative. Have fun with it. And make sure to tag us in your post. So if it's on Twitter, tag us at the Pactum. If it's on Instagram, the Pactum Theology. And on the 22nd, we will collect all of those and we will announce a winner on September 29th. I have, I have questions in, during this Pactum Responsum. So let me ask you. I'm ready. Okay. So first of all, how are we going to choose a winner? It's called it. You do a random generation thing. Okay. So okay. you collect all the posts. A random regeneration a random, thing. Yes, yes. Is that theological? I think so. Okay. Random regeneration. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to do that. And then not only that, um, we want them to get creative. Yeah. Get okay. Creative. Okay. But, it, but this is a family podcast. Yes. So it is. don't get that creative, right. but get creative. Yep. Okay. Thoughtful, Christ honoring, edifying. Yep. Good. Good. What else? Anything else they need to know about what they're doing here? I don't think so. Nope. Oh, oh what are they going to win? Oh, yeah, that's right. I didn't even tell you the prize. Man, I tell you. I got so excited telling you how to win. They will win a copy of Sacred Bond by Michael Brown and... Zach Keel. Is it, are we going to sell the one that has the typo in it, or has that been fixed? <laughs> You'll have to ask the, the authors of that one. But we did talk about that in episode 32, and so uh, we'll be giving you a free copy of... Sacred Bond by Michael Brown and Zach Keel. Okay, good. We might even talk more about that book in this episode. Yes. That's exciting. I'm yeah. going to maybe try to get my family involved so First we can Pactum, win a copy. Yeah. And then listen, if you've already posted a picture in your swag, that doesn't count. You're going to have to do it again. So, sorry. If you've done it, just go for it. It's okay. It'll be great. It'll be great fun to have more than one Pactum picture on your timeline. What if somebody wins then they don't live within the continental United States? We'll figure it out. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> we'll figure that out. All right, good. Let's go to the next question. Yeah, next question comes from Melissa. And Melissa, you ask a lot of questions. Yes, we and have. So we think you're probably extra sanctified. Thank right. you for asking a lot, but we're yep. not going to get to all of your questions right. this time. Right? So we're going to pare it down. We have one question we're going to answer here, and she's asking, what's the difference between, quote, faith alone and, quote, easy believism? Super. Well, we've kind of already touched on this as far as the good works are concerned in one of the earlier questions, but let's take them one at a time. So faith alone is shorthand for justification by grace alone through faith alone in the finished work of Christ alone. So that's what that is. Easy believism is a label that has at least historically been used for something rather shallow. So if you can just get someone to repeat after you uh, the quote unquote sinner's prayer, then you can assure them. And now they're down. They have fire insurance and they're not going to go to hell uh, and everything's fine. They could even become an atheist, but they're still saved. Right. That sort of thing uh, is how I would understand those two things. So Melissa, I hope that is at least getting at the crux of the matter. And what I would say is let's keep it clear in our minds that in Romans chapter four, God justifies the ungodly. Yeah. So 
That's why we would say faith alone. Mm -hmm. Christ's work is sufficient in what he did. And so if you rest in him, if you trust in him, faith alone, that's why we say faith alone. He doesn't justify the godly. He justifies the ungodly. And that really sheds a lot of light on the matter. So if we have that in our minds, we can say, okay, what about obedience? What about doing the right thing? Well, yeah, that's in Romans 6. Right. But let's keep the theology of Romans 6 in Romans 6. Mm -hmm. Let's not somehow try to artificially say you must do these things. You must act a certain way in order to be justified. Let's say act these certain ways, obey, because you are justified, because you're united to Christ by faith. That's Romans 6. Anytime we start blurring the lines between five and six or one to five and six, we get ourselves in a lot of trouble. And if we're not careful, we'll fall under the condemnation of Galatians one, eight and nine of those who preach a different gospel. So let's, if we, if we can keep that straight, I think it would help. Also, maybe this will help when a Bible teacher you admire or look up to, or it it might even be you when you're a Protestant and you're talking to a Roman Catholic about justification, what it means to be declared right in the eyes of God before the court of God. uh, When you're talking to them, you're no doubt going to be clear. It's all grace. Mm -hmm. It's only through faith. Christ paid it all. He sat down at the right hand of the father, no more work to be done. Well, don't lose your ever-loving Protestant mind, as we want to say, when you're speaking in a different context. When you're talking about fruit, when you're talking about obedience, that's perfectly fine to do. The Bible talks about those things, but not for your justification. Right, right. So I I can think of people who I know who are awesome when they're talking about Roman Catholicism as a Protestant, and yet when they talk about something else with fellow Protestants, they sound like they're Roman Catholic. Right. So I think that might be helpful. So neonomianism, new law for justification is bad. Antinomianism, no law obedience as a Christian is bad. We don't have to make the false choice. Yeah. So let's bear fruit as Christians. Let's not try to get people to bear fruit in order to become Christians. Yeah. Uh, that's a bad look. Yeah. So I think Sinclair Ferguson is a good person when it comes to all of this, who understands it historically and who understands it pastorally, understands it homiletically. Mm. Ooh, I'm on a roll Ooh, on, on Lee words when it comes to his preaching. And so I would, I, your assignment uh, Melissa is to listen to Sinclair Ferguson, maybe, maybe read the whole Christ, mm-hmm. the whole W H O L E Christ yep. uh, would be a good balance to all of this. Yeah. Melissa does have a, one more question we wanted to answer. Melissa, Melissa, I, Melissa. <laughs> and the question is, um, what about reading people that you don't agree with? She's heard us mention on previous episodes, reading people that you don't agree with, and she'd like to have a little more clarity on that. I would say pray for wisdom because this is ultimately a freedom issue with you, between you and the Lord. So pray for wisdom, pray for discernment. If you're only ever reading people you have heard to be false teachers, Mm. it probably isn't very healthy and it probably is contra to the pastoral letters in the New Testament. So I would be cautious and careful at the same time. Let me add to that. Life is short. So I'm trying to read the best books um, and use my time, use my time wisely. Right. Yeah. With that said, it's good to read original sources. So if you're going to critique someone, it might be good to read some of their material because sometimes what happens is we're told that someone believes something when in fact they don't believe what we've been told. Mm. 
And we might even find that the ones we've been warned against as the boogeymen yeah. uh, actually end up having the answers. Yeah. And so that was certainly true in my life when it comes to understanding covenant theology and what right. it is and what it isn't. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it was actually what was biblical and biblically defensible. So just encourage you to keep that in mind. Pray for wisdom. Enjoy your freedom. Be wise. Yeah. Be discerning. Yep. Well, speaking of covenant theology, that's a good lead into our next question that we have. And this question comes from Mike, and he Is writes... It, did you write this question? I did not write this question. I thought about putting Mike's last name on there just to clarify I didn't write this question. Okay, good. We didn't... We said at the beginning of that, at the beginning of this episode, all these questions really did come from our listeners. Okay, so, good, good. Yep. So that Mike says, "I'm assuming the covenant of redemption was a covenant of works. Am I correct in this? And what law did Jesus fulfill in this covenant of works?" Ooh, big questions. Yeah. Here. All right, good. So think in terms of Romans five. And according to Romans five, it was because of Christ's obedience. Yeah. So because he had to obey for us to be justified, and so. In the covenant of redemption, he was called to do things. He was called to act. Yeah. There were demands of the law placed upon him. Right. And so I think I would answer that in the yes. I'm, I know some people would want me to nuance that better than that, but I'm going for the 30,000-foot version. Right. So here's J.V. Fesco referencing Gillespie. He talks about meeting the demands of the law and the broken covenant of works. That's what had to be done in the covenant of redemption by the last Adam representative, the Lord Jesus Christ. So mm-hmm. I would answer that in the, in the affirmative. As far as what law Jesus fulfilled, well, let's think in terms of the basics of what God's law requires and has always required. Mm. So everyone, this is pre-Mosaic even, right. what's the requirement? Love God, love neighbor, love God perfectly, love neighbor as self perfectly also. Jesus fulfilled that obligation for everyone he represented. It's also true, though, he was born under the Mosaic law as a Jew, and he fulfilled that also. Mm -hmm. And all kinds of ramifications, given the types and shadows, sacrificial system, priesthood, all of that sort of thing. So it's a both and, not so much an either or. And so let's keep that in mind. So, Mike, to go to your question, you asked for a couple resources. Maybe you could look at this a little bit further yourself. Uh, we'd start with Sacred Bond, which we mentioned uh, part of our contest earlier, Sacred Bond by Michael Brown and Zach Keel. Uh, also, J.V. Fesco has The Trinity and the Covenant of Redemption, both great works that would address some of these matters. Yep, maybe also The Systematic Theology by Louis Burkhoff yeah. would also be yep. a good good go-to text that's kind of been proven and tested and is rather simple to understand, not as simple as Sacred Bond, but I would go there. And I do have some quotes here. If, you, if you're a big spender, Mike, I do have some quotes mm. here from like a $120 book Ooh. published in Europe by Fesco on the Covenant of Redemption before his British version came out. Uh, that's a little bit more accessible. I say British version. It's a British publi- publisher. But here's a couple of good, good quotations. Uh, the Sinai Covenant was a covenant of works for Christ because he was born under it and suffered its curse, Galatians 3.13. In other words, the Pactum Salutis necessitated the revelation of the law as well as redemptive history to bring about Christ's fulfillment of its terms. Mm. Uh, I don't remember the exact title of the book, so I have in parenthesis, Expensive Work by J.B. Fesco. <laughs> the expensive uh-huh. work. I, I, kid, I, I joked with him one time that he owed me a cutback or a kickback <laughs> um, because I had to pay so much money, and he said, actually, I'm not, I'm not making anything off of it. So oh, what it's worth, a couple more, though, since I had to pay so much money, I, I want to get some traction out there of it. There you go. Yep. Here we go. Another quote. Westminster divine Anthony Burgess, Coxeus, and Charles Hodge argued that the mirror image of the pactum was the covenant of works. Yeah. So it's 
covenant of works for him uh, comes to us freely for our justification because of his accomplishments. Good. Well, let's round out the episode with one more question from Brad. And I have to say, Brad has given us several questions recently. And Brad, I just want to address one of the matters that you put in, I think, your latest question, which we're not going to get to today, but maybe in a further episode. Brad said, also, second question, when will the Huskers stop embarrassing the Big Ten? And I would like to answer that question <laughs> as the resident Iowa Hawkeye fan. Never. Okay. The question we want to get to on today's Oh, episode. look at you all smug. <laughs> I'm wearing two Hawkeye shirts today. Uh-huh. Two Hawkeye shirts today. Thoroughly insulated Until Mike Grimes. We start the season on Saturday. It could be ugly. So we'll find out. But All right. Brad asks, are Arminians saved? Oh, Brad, let me <clears throat> clear my voice and <clears throat> prepare to do my, my best R.C. Sproul imitation and answer your question. I certainly hope so and believe so because I was one for five years be- after I was converted before I became reformed in my theology, and I believed I was in the state of grace at that time. And I, I think that, that uh, Arminianism is an extremely defective and weak theology and one that has serious consequences and ramifications for the church in general and for the Christian individual in particular. And But are they saved? I always like to say yes, but by a happy inconsistency. Uh, so we, we, we're with RC. Uh, obviously, it's an error. It's a problem. Arminianism is. It's defective, as RC would say. But Provided some, let's think of it this way. Provided someone affirms that salvation is of the Lord, yeah. uh, provided that they would affirm in one way that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone. Uh, if someone can affirm those things, then I think they can be saved. Yeah. And we're going to work on helping them understand the, the gravity of their sin. We're going to work on helping them to understand just the significance of that. But many, many people understand the gospel on its basic level and then come to understand that maybe the gospel is even better than they realized. But I'm going to say yes. Thankfully, there are blessed, blessed inconsistencies, as you might say, uh, Mike, and Arminians can be saved. Uh, do I want them to stay Arminians? No, I don't want them to stay Arminians. If you push it to its logical extreme, you definitely could build a case that somehow they add works their own works because of their own free will or whatever it is. And then it is a problem. Yeah. But thankfully we're not all logically consistent. Right. And as far as formally rejecting the doctrines of grace in favor of Arminianism, can they be saved again? I think the Lord saves people who believe that his son is their savior. Mm -hmm. And there can be a lot of confusion beyond that. I'm not going to vouch for everyone's salvation, right? but at the same time, uh, I'm going to be real careful to not require too much uh, understanding and depth when it comes to what it takes to be saved. Yeah. So I think we should be careful. And Brad, I'm not saying this is what you're asking about, but it is rather interesting, at least in my experience, which is not authoritative. <laughs> uh, this is not my truth, but in my experience as a pastor for some time now, how many people I meet who think Arminians can't be saved. And the more I talk to those people, they end up not being classic Calvinists. They end up being hyper Calvinists. Mm-hmm. So it may not be the case in your, in your, in, it may not be true with what you're talking about, but do be on the lookout. I've had people who don't think people have to believe yeah. uh, because of their hyper-Calvinism, when in fact, true classic Calvinism would say people do have to believe, even though it's a result of the regenerative work of the Spirit of God. Right. 
Yeah. Well, we want to thank you all for listening. Keep those questions coming. We'll continue to do Pactum Response episodes as we get enough questions to have an episode. Don't forget the contest. It begins September 8th, 2021. And all your submissions of you and your Pactum swag on Twitter or Instagram tagging us need to be completed by September 22nd. You win a copy of Sacred Bond. We're looking forward to seeing all that Pactum swag all over the Pactum verse on the internet. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time on The Pactum.